Hi, I'm Bettina Seifer. And I'm TC Melf. Today we're going to be discussing our favorite literary award, which is the Bad Sex in Fiction Awards. These have been awarded by the Literary Review magazine annually since 1993. We're not going to go that far back, but today we are going to discuss the 2017 shortlists and the winner. And uh, we'll also get around to the 2016 shortlist because there's some good stuff there too. Yeah. And so the reason that we thought that this would be fun, aside from the fact that it's, it's sort of a tradition is that it, it also helps us sort of create a context for talking about what it, what is a bad sex scene. There's so many ways that a sex scene can be bad. It can be badly written. It can be a mm-hmm. bad experience between the two characters, or it could just be in, incongruent somehow. Um, and, and so take it with a grain of salt because obviously we, it's a, there's definitely probably a context problem with some of these passages, but we're just taking these little extracts and looking at them through the lens of, uh, of erotic writers, erotica writers. Yeah, we're effectively going to do some close reading, I think. And we're going to see what are the words and sentences that can make a scene bad, obviously. Uh, we're also yeah. going to see what's maybe not so bad because we were surprised to found we even liked some of these excerpts. And we're also yes. going to see what's just plain weird. Um, right. So during our last episode in this podcast, we talked about sex languages. And three of the big languages we talked about were romance, which is a little soft and feelings-based, pornography, which is much more blunt and action and not very lyrical, doesn't really prize literary skill, and then literary erotica, which we thought was a happy medium and fully engages the mind, body, and emotions. Uh, So today we're going to be looking at literary non-erotica and kind of find out why some literary writing might either choose not to be erotic or might try to be erotic and fail. Right. (laughs) Right. And, 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 And what is interesting is looking at some of these incredibly talented writers that, you know, their bag is literature. And so from the perspective of an erotica writer, it's just an interesting comparison to make because um, just because they're really, really good writers doesn't actually mean they know how to write a sex scene. (laughs) Really? Really? Right. So we're reading from the excerpts that are available online because in media coverage of the award, lots of different publications share articles, which include given paragraphs that show why why the sex is so bad that it deserves a bad sex writing award. So that's where we found these quotes we're going to be reading, and that is where you, dear listeners, can find them as well. So you can pull up a link and follow along. Right, exactly. And we highly recommend. Yes. This is a, this is a, a read-along podcast. <laughs> okay, so the first entry in the uh, Bad Sex award, uh, Awards for 2017 is uh, The Seventh Function of Language by Laurent Binet. Um, I'm going to just read it and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> and, and this is a rather long passage, so I, I'm even going to um, just take a little extract from, uh, from the middle. She takes off her skirt, spreads her legs and tells him, Fuck me like a machine. And while her breasts spill out, Simon begins to flow into her assemblage. His tongue machine slides inside her like a coin in the slot, and Bianca's mouth, which also has multiple uses, expels air like a bellows, a powerful rhythmic breathing whose echo, see, see, reverberates in the pulsing blood in Simon's cock. Bianca moans. Simon gets hard. Simon licks Bianca, 
Bianca touches her breasts. The flayed men get hard. Gallienus starts to wank under his robe, and Hippocrates under his toga. See, see, Bianca grabs Simon's dick, which is hot and hard, as if it had just come out of a steel forge, and connects it to her mouth machine. Simon declaims, as if to himself, quoting Artaud in an oddly detached voice, The body under the skin is an overheated factory. There is a there is a <laughs> lot going on here. Yes, a lot to unpack there. So the sense that I get is that it's you know deliberately absurd. Yes, uh, he even you know you you don't get away with mentioning Arto in a sex scene without uh, being accused of some sort of existentialist French French absurdity. Um, Oh, and, and we should point out that this is taking place in a dissecting theater. Yeah, we don't have, obviously, all the context, but this does take place in a dissection theater, so those flayed men are probably literal. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so, so it's fascinating, uh, but it's also horrible. There's pretty much nothing sexy about it, despite the mention of specific body parts and the sort of... Uh, almost um the high energy quality of it yeah that's sort uh, of franticness i think it's you know, yeah. clear that the author is intending to do something other than arouse but even so there's that yeah. pornographic language mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mixed in with arto references and saying hippocrates is in a toga so right some deliberate choices were made here we wouldn't necessarily say that the author's incompetent but coming from a very strange place Yes, coming from a strange place and not a sexy place. So we would, I, I think we can safely agree that this, this counts uh, based on the criteria of a bad sex scene. Yeah. But a, a deliberate one. So our next quote is going to be from The Destroyers by Christopher Bolin. And a spoiler alert, this one is actually the winner of the Bad Sex and Fiction Awards for 2017. The rest of the shortlist is so yeah. worth looking at, though. So we'll be doing that, too. Do me a favor, she says as she turns. She covers her breasts with her swimsuit. The rest of her remains so delectably exposed. The skin along her arms and shoulders are different shades of tan, like water stains in a bathtub. Her face and vagina are competing for my attention, so I glance down at the billiard rack of my penis and testicles. Let's not tell Charlie and Sonny about us. Let's leave them out of it. So... A comment I read in one article from the judges who awarded this worst sex in fiction, uh, were, we were not sure just how many testicles the narrator had. Because a billiard rack, that's <laughs> nine of them, right? Right. It does bring to mind a very um, odd image. And uh, this is something that I think that a lot of erotica writers do without noticing. So another thing that he does, it, it, it's clear that he is trying to make uh, this scene sexy. I think the phrase, uh, the rest of her remains so delectably exposed. Uh, I, I think that he's trying to create a, a, a situation of arousal, but the nature of the descriptions is inherently unsexy in that they are really uh, incongruent with what's happening. So the skin along her arms and shoulders are different shades of tan, like water stains in a bathtub. It's an, it's an image that is kind of like um, 
evocative of something that's sort of dirty and lukewarm at the same time. <laughs> and, and so I think that that's something actually that I see a lot of erotica writers, they get so caught up in the comparison, like, oh, well, that, that looks like this, that they don't stop and think, is that a inherently sexy comparison to make? Um, so, you know, this, this counts, although I mm. want to point out that, uh, this, this one too, it's at least the passage that is excerpted here is not, we're not actually witnessing the act. So in my mind, that would be like the, the, the first criteria of like, 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 is there actually sex being had here? And it's hard to tell from this passage. So as far as it qualifying that to me, it might get off on a technicality. <laughs> that was honestly. one thing we did <laughs> notice. Yeah. Sometimes it's about the buildup and the buildup is not always that sexy. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So would you like the next so, one? Sure. I'll take the next one. The next one is mother of darkness by Venetia Welby. And it goes like this. They lie beneath molten sunrise Head nestled in inner elbow, mold of muscle mingling flesh with flesh, one body, soul within soul. The green grass curls around Tara's left breast as she curves her sleek physique around Maddie's diabolical torso like a vine. Paralyzed, complete, the marble statue of the lovers allows itself to be painted by the dawn's lurid orange spillage. Shards of innocence, they lie in the sweet, sweaty chill of the morning light. Darkened by the sun and the dust, Yang curls round S-curved yin, a perfect fit. So, uh... It's certainly an ambitious little passage. Um, there's something very sort of um, sickeningly sweet about it. Like it's going for something bordering on psychedelic. And you, you were, you told me that this past that, that this book is about some sort of drug induced teenage. Yeah. We looked this one up actually. And it's a surreal Soho yeah. drug memoir, according to the Goodreads right. description. <laughs> so the bizarre sense is somewhat deliberate, but even so, um, is that an excuse for saying mold of muscle? And that's mold as in like the green growing stuff. Um, diabolical yep. torso, lurid orange spillage. Right. So those phrases, they I stick think, out, like, as you said once, painfully sore thumbs. Yeah, painfully sore thumbs. Uh, well, and it, it would, I, I feel like the quality of that language would work on its own if she wasn't mixing it with these sort of um, almost over-the-top uh, quixotic phrases like, one body, yes. soul within soul, all of that, like, Shards you know, very, um, yeah, saccharine romance language. Like, I, I feel like um, she basically sort of cross-hatched one style with another style here, and that it doesn't quite gel yeah, together. Yeah, overall, 
we're not sure, I, like, are parts of this ironic? And if so, at what parts? What's the overall impression supposed to be? Right. Right. I have to concur with the judges on that one, too. <laughs> so our next uh, quote, which I'm going to read, is from As a God Might Be by Neil Griffiths. The kiss was an order and a disguise. She pushed her hand into his jeans and felt for his cock. She was experienced enough to prepare for disappointment. Her tongue sought out his tongue and whipped around it, teasing it out. There was the taste of whiskey, the fresh basil from the salad. Both knew from where they were standing, getting to bed would be awkward. He still had his boots on. See, I, I loved this one. <laughs> and I also... I, I, yeah, I'm I, actually not sure what's wrong with it. This one pu really puzzled us uh, because it, it, first of all, has this very, uh, very fresh and very uh, unvarnished kind of quality that that it feels it feels really honest. Uh, for example, I love she pushed her hands into his jeans and felt for his cock. She was experienced enough to be to prepare for disappointment. I, I loved, <laughs> I loved the writer, uh, uh, a male writer putting himself in, in her mind for that moment. And like that, that is always a big question mark moment. Like what's going to be in there. <laughs> you just yeah. don't know. I and, was, um, we were wondering um, if the and, jurors were actually put off by that line, by mentioning the woman's potential yeah. disappointment in an erotic context. Is that so verboten? Yeah. Right. Or mm -hmm. unsexy. In, but, you know, like, does that count as unsexy? Certainly, probably from the man's perspective, it does. But um, I, I also love her yes. agency in this passage. I love that she is the one who is acting. And it, it seems to me clear that she is um, maybe the older or more experienced one in the story because... Um, the moment of uh, both of them knowing that getting to the bed would be act. He still has his boots on. In other words, the implication there is that he 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 wasn't really um, he wasn't really doing his part to make the thing happen. <laughs> you know, like he could have been taking his boots off while she was. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. Um, but I liked this one. I, 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 I found it hot in mm -hmm. its honesty. And yet, overall, um, unless it turns out she really is disappointed later, it doesn't sound like it's about bad sex and it's not badly written. So we might give it a good sex award, actually. Right, right. Yeah, I would give this a good sex award. I don't, I, I don't see how it quite made it onto the, um, onto the pile there. Um, so... This next one. It's another attempt at the surreal. It is. Okay. So this next one is called um, The Future Won't Be Long by Jarrett Kobeck. We made love and we had sex and we had sex and we made love. But reader, again, I implore, mistake me not. I am not your Pollyanna. I'm not your sweet princess. We fucked. We fucked. We fucked. We fucked. We fucked. We fucked. We fucked in the effluvia of our bodies. We fucked in the scent of it, in the sheer stench of it, in the garden of our human flowering. 
stained sheets, stained clothes, stained soles, stained towels. Fucked until my pussy ran dry and was rubbed raw. Fucked until the captain yowled outside my door, his gray paws smacking against the wood. Fucked until John's daily erections withered into nothingness, unable to support a third or fourth condom. Fucked until the arrival of my period, pausing only until the heavy flow ceased, then fucking as John's penis turned cartoon red with my discharge. Fucked until celestial bodies rotated on their axes and reversed course in the heavens. Until the bed broke, until the building itself became hypercharged by orgones. Our fucking was a pulsing wave, a holy burst of scarred geometry, a congress of wonder. I really loved this. I just felt like I, to me, this was a really raw, hot piece of poetry. And I I don't know these characters at all, but I love them for absolutely letting the animal go. Yeah, (laughs) it's a very extreme passage to the point where it's almost over fucking. Mm -hmm. Um, Here and there, there might be lines where it gets a little excessive. The I am not your Pollyanna, I think that sounds a little precious to me. Yeah, it does. The cartoon red penis. Like, I see why the jury was like, aha, we may have a contender here. Yeah, (laughs) it is. The overall effect, and especially that build at the end, a congress of wonder, a pulsing wave, that's really strong. Oh, it's great. I just love it. And, I, I, you know, for those who have menses fetish, this is like a pure fucking wet dream right here. <laughs> well, see, I think it could be if they use stronger, more sensual language than cartoon red. And the other thing I liked True. on a language level is that this is rooted and it uses so much parallelism and repetition that grounds this could be mm-hmm. a pretty crazy passage sort of like the previous uh, drug memoir one but the repetition roots it and then it builds its own rhythm and rhythm is inherently sexy so right exactly yes it definitely has a uh, a, a a tempo of this piece and you can feel it when you read it and i i have to i have to disagree with the judges on this one i thought that this there was on an erotic level it still worked for me Oh, okay, this so, one. Your turn. Well, this next one, uh, it's from War Cry by Wilbur Smith with David Churchill. It's pretty long. Oh, I don't know if we're going to quote all of it. We're just going to discuss some aspects of it. We totally see why it qualified. Um, so we're getting the impression sort of of novice erotica writers because there's a lot of beginner's mistakes where a writer's trying to be sexy but falls back on cliches. Her nipples were a delicate shade of coral pink, and they were standing up for him as proudly as little guardsmen on parade. Mm. Yeah, there's also a lot of use of the word little here. Um, The concept, from what we can tell, it seems to be some Victorian gentleman deflowering his virgin bride. So there's this, there's the pastels, (laughs) there's the little is used over and over again. It's really kind of twee. And it's de- it's definitely written from a you know male perspective of uh you know the male acting on the female body. She's not really an actor in this. More, th- she's more of a yeah. She has a few bits of reaction, yeah. 
Her hands were running through his hair and then stroking his back, and then as he brought his head over to her other breast, ugh, I, I hate it when people are doing mm-hmm. things to one breast and then the other. Just phrasing sounds so mechanical right. to me. Like, oh, I checked that off the list. It does. Exactly. It is. It's checking the sexual boxes, and that is a no-no in erotica. It's true. Um, so yeah, we, uh, in fact, uh, in my mind, this would have been a contender for the winner. Yeah. I think. Um, especially because it seems to suggest lack of skill. While some of the others, the author is trying to do something. They're just yes. doing something very weird. In this case, it's quite possible the mm-hmm. authors would do better with future scenes with more experience, maybe with different characters or perspectives. But overall, this one just wasn't working right. for us. Yeah, it just didn't work. It was... We've read that pa- same passage thousands yes. of times. <laughs> and I don't know if it ever worked. <laughs> so. No, right. Okay. Yeah. So this next yeah, one ahead. is Here Comes Trouble by Simon Rowe. The details of what happened in that bed, while engrossing, have no business in this report. Nor is it certain that, put into words, they would survive the imprisonment. But it is worth noting that when people shed their clothes, they lose certain trappings and conventions. A clothed body is always human or human-like, a naked body always animal or animal-like. Only at close quarters is the full extent of a body's wildness revealed, like when a bird gets trapped inside a house. One is moved to not entirely human thinking, then. One goes towards its animalness. Later on in this passage, they quote, Sometimes during, he would think about where he was and feel a start of fright at doing this in his father's place of work, until he remembered his parents were in prison and couldn't catch him, and this would fill him with relief. <laughs> so this is an example in my mind of something that works as well as literature, but it's not, it's not trying to qualify as a sex scene. It meets the qualities of uh, the bad sex awards, but it, it's, it's not bad yeah. fiction. Uh, it's just not, it's not trying to be sexy. A thing that's, it's it's commenting on it in a really into, in a really intellectual and removed way, and in fact, like still, we're, there's nothing explicit happening in this particular. And passage. indeed, they try not to be explicit. A thing that struck me is that in the high right. level summary, it describes sex as animal like, but then the kid himself, I get the impression that he's young from this. He has a very civilized yeah. human mm-hmm. concern about his parents finding him. But that's also, it's really undignified. So this passage sounds honest, and that honesty makes it awkward, and that might be part of why the jury thought it was bad sex. Right. This this passage is not really about sex. It's about inhibition, I think. Uh And, you know, our our sort of intellectual approach to something that's carnal and raw and, you know— and then not civilized. The one, there was one line we both liked. Um, Only at close quarters is the full extent of a body's wildness revealed, like when a bird gets trapped inside a house. It was a really vivid metaphor for the sense yeah. of chaos, panic, which is part of why I interpret the mm-hmm. point of view character as a young man who's kind of new to sexuality. He might even be taken by surprise by the forces that have been unleashed here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really, I really liked that line. Reading this passage makes me want to read the book, but not for not for the reason of it being uh-huh. sexy. Obviously, it sounds it, it just from this little excerpt alone. It sounds like a really yeah, interesting there's a lot story. going on. So that's the end of yeah. the 2017 shortlist. 
But we also wanted to look back at 2016. Um, of course, this is our first year doing the podcast, yeah. so we weren't able to cover the 2016 awards when they were announced. But we found some really interesting stuff yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And we, we there were there were some of them that were um, that were so good. We just we we wanted to double back and talk about them a little bit. Well, there were some we oh, liked okay. so much that it had us wondering what the qualifiers for the Bad Sex Award really were. Because there are ones where the writing is really right. good. It's just not quite hot. There are cases, though, where it's mm-hmm. just bad writing. Um, and one thing I did want to mention is mm-hmm. that when we searched for excerpts online, different publications do give different excerpts from the same sex scene. So in some cases, the issue might be that we right. just aren't, in what we're reading, we're not seeing the sentence that made the scene a real clunker. But in that case, it's odd that publications are holding up these relatively inoffensive quotes as if they make their self-explanatory about what about them is bad sex writing. So there might be something for uh, erotica readers to take away from this, which is that details are important and the right detail can make a scene. The wrong detail can break one. And even so, there's a lot of personal what a reader brings to the table. So a line that really works for someone really doesn't work for others. Sure. Of course, there's always subjectivity involved, but you're right. It's, it, it's interesting even how, uh, they chose to excerpt in particular out of, out of each book, because sometimes when you look at those passages in a broader context, it's like that actually, it it does change things. So the first excerpt from the 2016 bad sex awards, uh, is a doubter's almanac by Ethan Kanan. The act itself was fervent, like a brisk tennis game or a summer track meet, something performed in daylight between competitors. The cheap mattress bounced. She liked to do it more than once, and he was usually able to comply. Bourbon was his gasoline. Between sessions, he poured it at the counter while she lay panting on the sheets. Sweat burnished her body, the lean neck the surprisingly full breasts. He would down another glass and return. So Mm -hmm. great writing. We liked uh, several parts of it. Like Uh, the act itself was fervent, like a brisk tennis game. That gives a pretty good feel for the chemistry between the characters. Right. Between competitors. I liked that. It's this, it's almost, it implies a, a, a power struggle. It does. And the details of it are really uh, crisp, but it it almost saunters into that cliche uh, uh, with with the uh, the bourbon. The as Ernest Hemingway model, I think we called it, where it's like it's all physical details. Yes. There's not a lot of thought or emotion going on there, and then also the fallback on alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds us of the Toast male novelist jokes article. Which parodies that hyper-masculine writing style where there's a lot of, well, basically substance abuse. He lit a cigarette and the cigarette lit a cigarette and his whiskey lit a cigarette too. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, Although there was that earlier quote from the 2017 shortlist where the tastes of the whiskey and the basil are lingering in their mouths. And that sort of escaped this trope. There, it felt right in context. Here... Right. Here there's sort of a source of tension that he needs alcohol to fuel his passion. Which um mm-hmm. Yeah, frankly, right. I, I don't know why. She's 
She has her sweat-burnished body. She's athletic. I wouldn't need bourbon to fuel me, to be honest. The bisexual. Right. Well, uh, you know, the, the, the other implication is that it, there's yes. some self-destruction going on. And um, there's a, you know, it gives it this, this mm-hmm. dark melancholy quality that, you know, it, again, it's been it's been done so good writing and i think it's sexy i think um but i don't i I would i wouldn't call it bad necessarily i wonder why that i wonder why this one was uh i wonder Mm -hmm. why this was because it's it's not worse than other sex scenes that have a similar style and concept by any means right exactly yeah so curious our next contender is a curious in a different way from the Tobacconist mm-hmm. by Robert Seethaler. <laughs> and as his trousers slip down his legs, all the burdens of his life to date seemed to fall away from him. He tipped back his head and faced up into the darkness beneath the ceiling, and for one blessed moment he felt as if he could understand the things of this world in all their immeasurable beauty. How strange they are, he thought, life in all of these things. Then he felt Anazeka slide down before him to the floor, felt her hands grab his naked buttocks and draw him to her. Come, sunny boy, he heard her whisper, and with a smile he let go. Right. It's headed It's headed in an interesting direction, but, it, you know, as you pointed out, like, the last line is just such <laughs> yeah, a killjoy. The first line, as his trousers <laughs> lift down, all the burdens of his life fell away. I really liked that sense of relief and release. And then it gets kind of cosmic, but if you're getting laid, you're probably pretty happy with the universe, so I'm willing to give him that. And, right. and then suddenly comes Sunny Boy mm-hmm. and just record scratch. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, record scratch. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that one, I, I, I agree. I the agree other thing we noticed there. is um, it's all about his impressions and experience, and she's just sort of facilitating this right. cosmic union. Wallpaper. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. She's not and really even a if player. The, not yeah, and that, even if the rest of the book the goes on to show more interaction between them, they're on such different wavelengths that even though it's interesting, it could definitely detract from the eroticism. Right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Again, the the because female agency is so much more of a feature in erotica, we tend to really notice it when mm-hmm. it does not feature. You know? So um Well speaking yeah, speaking of female agency, on? um, do you want to read the next one? Yeah. Sure. Uh this this one is Men Like Air by Tom Connolly. The walkway to the terminal was all carpet, no oxygen. Dilly bundled Finn into the first restroom on offer, locked the cubicle door, and pulled at his leather belt. You're beautiful, she told him, going down onto her haunches and unzipping him. He watched her passport rise gradually out of the back pocket of her jeans in time with the rhythmic bobbing of her buttocks as she sucked him. He arched over her back and took hold of the passport before it landed on the pimpled floor. Despite the immediate circumstances, human nature obliged him to take a look at her passport photo. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I think the reason that they chose this one is because 
he's so obviously disconnected from this really uh, otherwise really yeah. hot thing that's so happening. There were three him. things about this scene that worked for me. And the first was that first line about all carpet, no oxygen, that sense of literally yeah. breathless anticipation. And then we also really liked it when Dilly called yeah. Finn beautiful because I like beautiful men and I like to see women showing mm-hmm. more agency and she is driving the action. Um, and that representation is cool for me regardless right. of the context. But then lastly, I like the admittedly mm-hmm. controversial detail about how her pa- passport rises and then falls out of her back pocket as she's moving because it gives a sense mm-hmm. of the physicality of the scene. The drawback is that it's the most prominently right. featured detail there isn't a greater sense of connection or chemistry mm-hmm. or even pleasure. Um, so that plus the tawdry right. setting where she's basically sucking a guy off in a public restroom. Right. And the implication there too, is that he's more, he's more focused on uh, small and inconsequential things than he is on, you know, the yeah, present. it says a he's lot about his character. It was interesting that, it's described as human nature to want to look at her passport photo because I don't think that's that's not a widespread impulse. Yeah. I don't even like looking at my own passport photo, much less other people's. They're not very flattering. But right. there's a sense of intrigue right. there, too, probably, that peering at her photo like that is the only way he can get close to her. It also seems to me a comment on the POV itself, like, you know, Human nature obliged him. Like that's it, that's such an absolute statement. It's a little indicator of the voice that's yeah. telling the story. You know, uh, clearly the POV is is with this male character. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, I don't know. It's it's interesting, but there's you know it's it's a it's a good example of bad because like it's, it's bad in the sense yeah, that it's and it's bad in an interesting way. Right. So the mm-hmm. next one we're going to read yeah. actually gives us a point of insight into the point of view character from a more female perspective. And this is from The Butcher's Hook by Janet Ellis. When his hand goes to my breasts, my feet are envious. I slide my hands down his back, all along his spine, rutted with bone like mud ridges in a dry field, to the audacious swell below. His finger is inside me, his thumb circling, and I spill like grain from a bucket. He's panting, still running his race. I laugh at the incongruous size of him, sticking to his stomach and escaping from the springing hair below. So, there were things we mm-hmm. really liked about this There were some lines we really liked and some we um, sort of chuckled at. Like, at first I thought audacious swell was his cock, mm-hmm. but now that I reread, I think it's his behind. Right. Like, no. Yeah. yeah um, we also ass. questioned the mm-hmm. choice of audacious. Right. Yeah. It it feels like Obama yeah, just, owns that just word like now. It's awkward to think about <laughs> your parents during audacious. sex. Um, much as we might admire him, I don't yeah. know if I want that sudden image. Yeah. Um, but rutted with bone like mud ridges, rutted with bone like mud ridges in a dry field was a really evocative description. And uh, I spill yeah, like some of the coverage we saw was mocking that one. Like there was one that had a picture of like a feed bag, and like, the caption was "sexy," sort of sarcastic. <laughs> but I think that right. feeling of spilling out right. is really vivid, and mm-hmm. it's accurate in my experience. Mm-hmm. So um, that it's described sort of unromantically mm-hmm. makes it feel even more real. 
but another thing is this, this is only about four mm-hmm. sentences long, but you get a really strong sense of who the character is based on the metaphors she uses. So mud in a dry field, grain in a bucket, and even running his race, which feels to me like a biblical reference. I have run the race. I have fought the good fight. Uh, so this, to me, suggests someone who's rural, right. probably Southern, and I'm getting a strong sense of culturally Christian young woman, which means a likely conservative upbringing when it comes to sex. And that adds another source of tension. Right, right. The things that didn't work, um, I, lo- I liked the line, I laugh at the mm-hmm. incongruous size of him, um, giving us a sense that the guy's body and the and his cock were not necessarily <laughs> we're not uh-huh. necessarily congruous it's kind of a, um but the it's, a, sorry, it's, just, it's kind of a charming what? detail too that uh when, the first time you see someone naked uh, one of your first thoughts might be the naked mm-hmm. human body looks kind of funny when you're not used to it so yeah right yeah it's it, that felt like a a really um sort of mm-hmm. That was relatable. That was a relatable detail. But then the the next line, sticking to his stomach and escaping from the springing hair below. First of all, as an editor, she uses the word below, like in sort of rapid succession there. Yeah, the yeah, audacious, audacious like, swell below and then springing hair below. It wasn't the yeah, sexiest detail to land on. Like what she's actually referring to. So uh, this mm-hmm. one is like, it's a good copy edit away from being a strong story but there's some good imagery there um, right i might want to check out the rest of the book we'll see yeah the okay. next uh one we're going to read from actually is another book that i've added to my to read list because of the quote but you can decide for yourself this is mm-hmm. leave me by gail foreman once they were in that room jason had slammed the door and devoured her with his mouth his hands which were everywhere as if he were ravenous and she remembered standing in front of him, her dress a puddle on the floor, and how she'd started to shake, her knees knocking together like she was a virgin, like this was the first time. Because had she allowed herself to hope, this is what she would have hoped for. And now here it was, and that was terrifying. Jason had taken her hand and placed it over his bare chest to his heart, which was pounding wildly in tandem with hers. She'd thought he was just excited, turned on. It had not occurred to her that he might be terrified, too. Yeah. It's hot and it's God, vulnerability. God, is I so think. hot. Um, <laughs> so I, it is hot. Mm-hmm. When I've heard criticism of this passage, a lot of people found that the anxi- there was too much anxiety. And it might be that anxiety is not the sexiest mm-hmm. emotion for a lot of people, but it can be realistic. And I loved the intensity True. of it. So it worked well for me. Right. I think anxiety is... Uh, the driving force of most stories. Uh, I think that um, it's, it's always an anxious proposition. And I loved what she did at the end of this too, where she, we, our first Mm -hmm. podcast was about POV and how something that a lot of erotica writers do. I know I did it when I first started out. A lot of erotica writers will uh, head hop or POV hop going back and forth really freely between one character's sort of inner world and another's. It's just really, really easy when you're trying to get those two people together. But one of the things that she does in this passage that is really crafty is this last sort of almost rhetorical statement. It had not occurred to her that he might be terrified too. 
it, it, it still keeps it in her POV, but indicates mm-hmm. absolutely where he is. And it, that's a really beautiful way to yeah, fold Yeah, I get him the impression the protagonist it. is remembering that scene from a later point in time. So from her new perspective, she has more insight mm-hmm. into Jason's mindset. And that in itself says a lot about the growing intimacy yeah. and understanding between those two characters. Um, we did note right. some of the phrases are kind of canned, especially that opening, slammed the door, devoured her with his mouth, hands going everywhere as if he were ravenous. That that's something we've seen before, but that was also kind of what made this work sure. for me, that it had a pretty predictable opener, and then it led to the surprise where we recognize she's nervous and he's terrified. So there's a payoff right. to it in yes. terms of characterization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just putting it simply. It's it's just, she, unlike some of the other passages that we, that we read, she's just... Uh, you know, the sentences are, are just really short and simple. And she's, they're, they're still doing the job. They're still doing the work. So I, yeah, as I said, I'm curious to see the rest of the book and it does a lot of characterization in a small space, like a couple of other ones we quoted, which was interesting because when the literary review Mm -hmm. gives out the bad sex and fiction awards, one of the reasons they say they do these awards is to sort of penalize writers who add gratuitous sex to their scenes just because they feel like it's expected or they think it's going to make the book sell better. But a lot of what they're pulling out as bad sex Mm -hmm. still looks pretty interesting on a literary level. It doesn't seem gratuitous. The Wilbur Smith one we quoted where we'd kind of seen it before, some of this feels a little perfunctory. But for the most part, Mm -hmm. the ones that, even the ones that are bad, it's because they're weird, they're going strange places, they're doing strange and not entirely successful Mm -hmm. things. But that's like the opposite of perfunctory. The author is almost getting too into it and uh, forgets to edit, maybe. It, it's not passionless. Right, right, exactly. Right. So this is the, the, uh, the final excerpt, um, The Day Before Happiness by Ari DeLuca. She pushed on my hips, an order that thrust me in. I entered her, not only my prick, but the whole of me entered her, into her guts, into her darkness, eyes wide open, seeing nothing. My whole body had gone inside her. I went in with her thrusts and stayed still. While I got used to the quiet and the pulsing of my blood in my ears and nose, she pushed me out a little, then in again. She did it again and again, holding me with force and moving me to the rhythm of the surf. She wiggled her breast beneath my hands and intensified the pushing. I went to in up to my groin and came out almost entirely. My body was her gear stick. So uh, I don't know Uh, if this is Freudian necessarily, but a psychoanalyst could make a lot out of this. Right. So, so we were talking about this concept of the vagina dentata where that on the other side of desire, men are secretly terrified by women because they feel like women devour their orgasms or devour them. You know, this idea that we, that we give birth, that we, you know, brought you out into this world. And to a certain extent, like it's women that, that, that rob men of their virility, of their, of their erection. Um, so that is, 
pretty obviously what's going on here. And, and we could understand like why, if some of the judges were male, for example, why this would be a big turnoff. Yeah, the narrator is <laughs> male, obviously. And I assume the author is too. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that is notable about this is, as you said, the woman is doing a lot of the actions. And that might actually be what causes some of the phrasing right. to sound so awkward. Like she wiggled her breasts beneath my hands and intensified the pushing. Something about that feels really weird. Right. And um, I think part of it is that we're, our mm-hmm. culture is not super great at describing women as erotic aggressors. Um, but I still feel like those actions could have been described mm-hmm. in a sexier way if the author had been invested in it. Right. And it just feels like the author is not. Um, it's, in fact, it feels like a real deliberate effort to make sex unsexy. Yeah, just- it, it's the winner for 2016, so. actually, and kind of overall, because it's just, it's super uncomfortable. Right. It's not sexy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not sexy. We no. went into this to talk about bad sex in fiction. We actually wound up talking a bit about what makes for good sex writing. Um, and overall, these past right. two years, <laughs> like, tobacconist kind of falls apart at the end. Men like air is uneven. But if uneven is the most you can say, does it truly deserve the award? And I ask you, is this the worst we can yeah. do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <And> it's true. <laughs> I, don't, you know, I, I doubt it somehow. <laughs> yeah, the, the awards from previous years, some of them were more interesting because I, you had a 2004 entry about the Moomin Troll. Yes, that's right. Um what was that line? It was David Mitchell, and it was, it was. She, oh, she no, made a noise like a tortured moomin troll. Right, she made a no- noise like a tortured moomin troll. I think it was a squeak, <laughs> even. But yeah, yeah, there were some bad ones. Like we said, a lot of those writers weren't necessarily going for sexy. Um, and it seems to me that the original uh, intent of the whole thing was to call out yeah. uh, rote sex scenes where the writers where the writers really just didn't put that much effort. But I guess after it. more than 20 years, um, the, you kind of see it all as far as rote sex scenes go. So instead, we're looking at failure modes that are mm-hmm. a bit more interesting. Right, exactly. Yeah, thanks for, for some fun discussion. That, yeah, so speaking of uh, good writing, what have you got... What have you got going on right now, Tisi? Okay, What's so coming out I was for you? recently uh, out with a short story in the Dancing with Myself anthology, Stories of Self-Love Erotica. It's edited by Jillian Boyd, and it has stories yeah. in it from Boyd herself, from me, from Dina Hankins, Jordan Monroe, Leandra Vane, L.N. Bay, Jones, Hollis Queens, and Rachel Lowe. Um, it was interesting to write the self-love from a characterization perspective because you're working with somebody in solitude, but uh, not to spoil anything, I managed to fit in pretty much a whole orgy in there. Uh, that came out late in January, and it's wherever <laughs> ebooks are sold. Amazon, Smashwords, iTunes, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and so on. And what about you? Wow. Wow. Oh, well, I have I have a story coming out in an anthology called Tonight She's Yours. Mm-hmm. I still don't have a release date for this one, unfortunately, but it's Cuckold Stories, and it's in its second. The first one did really, really well. Um, so I have a story in it. Um, so does Rose Carraway, uh, Dylan McEwen, Janie James, Richard Bakula, 
Prescott Anderson, Annabeth Leong, Corey Reed, and many, many others. There, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, stay tuned for that one. I still don't have a release date on it, but you'll be the first to know. Um, if you want to check out my blog, I'm at Bettina, B-E-T-I-N-A, Cypher, that's C-I-P-H-E-R, Erotica. And I'm at tcmill.com. That's tc-mill.com. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for listening, and you'll be hearing from us soon. 